And today on No Crying in Baseball, we have another guest, kick-ass female podcaster, Tara Wellman, who is the co-host of the Gateway to Baseball Heaven podcast and also the co-host of the Chirps podcast and blogger. Both of those are found on birdsontheblack.com. So, hey, Tara, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. We always kick it off a little bit by asking about your personal connection to baseball. And that can be anything, past, present, or future. What, what would you say is your personal connection to baseball? Well, it's an interesting difference in the two, right? My present connection to baseball mm-hmm. and my past connection to baseball. Presently, I work in the sports broadcasting industry. So for the last decade or so, I've been able to, especially on the minor league side, cover baseball in a professional sense, which has been a really cool thing because of my personal connection to baseball that is the reason that I sort of went that direction professionally. Uh, My dad is my baseball buddy, and he always has been. Uh, He grew up in St. Louis and was a St. Louis Cardinals fan, obviously, as you are when you grow up in the city. And Mm -hmm. that's all I really knew. However, I was was born in uh, Salt Lake City, Utah. And lived there until I was wow. 15. So I've always been, and now I live in uh, in Iowa. I'm still about three and a half hours from St. Louis. So I've always been a very uh, long distance St. Louis Cardinals fan. So growing up as I did very far away from baseball, w- before baseball was as accessible to out-of-market fans, um, there wasn't a lot of opportunity to watch and listen and experience the team as I do now. But, you know, it was always kind of just in my blood because of my dad. In fact, his dad once had a a walk-on contract offered after he'd been in the military for a number of years. It was a a weird situation where they were, you know, holding basically tryouts and anyone could come and and play a little and he was offered a contract. Uh, Unfortunately for him at the time, there was one Bill White who was playing, uh, (laughs) would be ahead of him in St. Louis. So his opportunity to actually play in St. Louis would have been very limited. And he was, you know, married with multiple children and the the whole minor league bus life with minimal uh, financial assistance there didn't seem like a good family plan. Um, So he he turned down that offer. But baseball has been in my family in that regard for forever. So it was always kind of something that was there. And then when my family moved to the Midwest when I was in high school, I started to have a lot of friends who were interested in baseball, Cardinals fans, Reds fans, Cubs fans, you name it. And all of a sudden, it was a lot more fun to spend a lot of time learning the game and knowing the stats and paying attention to every day when it was something that I had people to converse about it with. So sure. I always say I'm, I'm an incredibly shy, like painfully shy person in, in normal life. Um, but baseball was kind of always the thing that allowed me to connect with people. And once I realized someone liked baseball or they knew that I knew about baseball, all of a sudden we could talk for forever. And so it was kind of that connection for me to other people that I I was able to be confident in, even when I was very, uh, lacking a lot of confidence as a kid. (laughs) I totally get that. And it feels like that's a thing today. I mean, that's about us like connecting online and stuff and being able to hit it off with so many different things because we've got this thing that we're, you know, all so into a a couple other things I was thinking of while you were talking. One, did, did you know Sarah from, from uh, Cup of Cubby Blues from Utah also? I I know that now I've learned that recently. I didn't know that uh, (laughs) until recently, but it was funny when we both realized that actually quick story about that. When we both realized that it was when the Michael Jordan documentary series was airing. 
Oh, so not that long ago. You no, know, not that long ago. Wow. We both grew up in Utah during that era. So we both immediately connected <laughs> over the painful memories mm-hmm. as Utah oh. Jazz fans as children. <laughs> yep. Yep. Oh, that is so sweet. The other thing I was thinking is that means just baseball is imprinted in your DNA from that whole experience oh, yeah. with Absolutely. your lineage. Like that, <laughs> I think that affects your DNA. That's that's in you, right? Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, th- there are many other stories that kind of follow that. I have a cousin who, um, as the story goes, struck out Albert Pujols twice in American Legion ball. So uh, <gasps> oh there gosh. are a bunch of random <laughs> little stories best. like that where it's like, it is part of me. <laughs> well, you know what? Whether it's true or urban legend, stick with it. That's an exactly, awesome. Exactly. Exactly. Right? <laughs> so I didn't realize you were in Iowa. That's like the land where there is no non-blacked out baseball. Yeah, we're blacked out from six teams. Six teams in the state that of Iowa. That is nuts. It's, yeah. uh, it's insane. And so fortunately for me, as the millennial that I am, my parents have a television package with um, Fox Sports Midwest included. And so I just you know, use their information and watch you baseball that way. You do what you got to do. As we do, right? <laughs> Nobody will know. Trust us. But but that's it, – it's the weirdest thing, and it's so frustrating. Um, you know, it's, it's similar in regard to the conversation about minor league baseball right now. There is no access to major league teams in the state of Iowa, and yet multiple Iowa minor league teams are on the chopping block for disappearing oh. and taking baseball out of God. the communities here. So Iowa is a real – you know, they, they call it flyover country. And the running yep. joke when I moved here was that everyone thought it was either Ohio or Idaho and no one knows where Iowa is. So <laughs> that's kind of how baseball treats it too. It's just like, oh, you're people live there. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I briefly lived in San Diego and a waiter. I, I'm, from, I'm from Ohio. I'm from okay. Ohio, not Iowa, not Idaho, <laughs> but Ohio. And a waiter asked me where I was from. And I said, Ohio. And he said, oh, I had a girlfriend who was from South Dakota. Is that close? <laughs> and it was just like this whole middle of the country. It's like this uh-huh. just one unified yeah. thing. And it's like, oh, no, yeah. no, no, it's not. <laughs> so I want to ask you about one very specific part of the Midwest. And that is, in fact, St. Louis specifically, which, as you talked about, is such a baseball town. Can you say more about that? Because it seems like that's like almost the identity of the city. It really is. Yeah. You know, that's that's a great way to put it. And St. Louis takes a lot of heat for a lot of reasons, and I think unfairly so. It's kind of one of those things that somebody says one thing, and then you run with it, and all of a sudden, it's it becomes the identity of the city. And look, it's not perfect. It's like any major city where there's you know issues with crime, and there's issues with the the local governments, and there's issues with whatever. It's like any major city in that regard. But it's a beautiful place, and that city downtown. They've done a lot of of work in the last I don't know decade to kind of revitalize some of the the uh, places that were kind of surrounding the ballpark that maybe needed a little help, but they've done so much good work. And there's, uh, it's a really cool city in the sense that it is a city. It is a major city, but it kind of feels a little more homey (laughs) in, in some regards. Uh, You feel a little closer to people, even though you're not right on top of people like you might be in a, in an even bigger city, but baseball is in everything that happens in that town. It's in the signs and the windows of every building. Uh, You know, it's everyone in town knows what's going on with the Cardinals. I was actually in St. Louis last fall when the blues and the Cardinals were both playing. The blues were kind of on that magical run and it's the coolest feeling in a city like that that kind of lives and breathes with their sports teams. And you see it in the windows, you feel it in the streets, people wearing their team gear, passing each other on the street and saying things. It's 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 a really cool experience for the sports fan in the sense that 
everybody, whether you're a diehard sports fan, baseball fan or not, you still know what's going on with the Cardinals. And I think that makes it a really fun place to learn about the game, to experience the game, to kind of have those rivalries, whether you're super hardcore into it or not. It's just kind of part of the fabric of that city. I, I can totally get that as a Bostonian. I'm from mm, Boston, so yeah. I'm a Red Sox fan, third generation. And and honestly, I've been wanting to, you know, thank you. I think the Cardinals hold a special place in my heart because of 2004 and how well the Red Sox were treated, honestly, <laughs> like to win that away, right? So they, the Red Sox win the first series for the yeah. first time in a bazillion years in St. Louis and were treated well by the Cardinals in the process. So Love hearing I've that. heard yeah. lots of good things about Sox fans going there and being led into the stadium and things like that. So that's that's just really nice. But that idea of it being a sports town, Boston is a lot like that. And where we are in D.C., it's really interesting because people bring their sports here. So mm. there are a lot of people yeah. here who are fans of you know, everywhere because DC is such a transient kind of town in a lot of ways. And and it's a different feeling. I love it. And Nats, you know, bless them, have done amazing with creating a fan base here. And we're totally on that. But it's it's still a little bit different than the whole city is always on that that city sports, you know, around the clock. Yeah, it's a it's a really unique I mean, even if you think about a place like LA uh, or even New York where they have such intense fan bases in for some of their sports teams. There's just so much else going on. And I think yeah. that's one of the things about St. Louis is that there's not that much else going on. <laughs> I mean, there's other stuff, but as far as like ways to distract you from the things that have always been important in that city, um, it's, it's never going to lose its place as one of the primary focal points in St. Louis. And that's what makes it just really easy to be there and kind of get that feeling of, Oh, these, these people are serious about their baseball. <laughs> So the baseball is very serious about the baseball, too, in uh, St. Louis. Yeah. I mean, like we always hear about well, we used to hear we used to hear about the cardinal way. I mean, you know, there are rules. There's a there's an outlook. There's a structure. There's a there's a way we play baseball here. I don't hear that so much anymore. Is there still the cardinal way or have we moved differently or what's happening? You know, I think that idea of the Cardinal way kind of took on a life of its own and not necessarily in a positive light. I think a lot of other people outside of St. Louis, a lot of other fan bases kind of jumped on it and turned it into this like, oh, yeah, the Cardinal way. Okay. (laughs) Right. Um, And a lot of people kind of got tired of that and got tired of that phrase being somehow this slight against St. Louis and how they did baseball when in reality – It was basically, I mean, not basically, it is like a manual that they're given in spring training that talks about the basics of the game, that talks about how to be a professional, that talks about how to do baseball as your job and to do it well. And I mean, it gets really specific in a lot of the things that are expected of players in that organization. And the idea of, well, we do baseball the right way or whatever. Every organization says that, right? That's not exclusive to St. Louis. But somehow this idea of the cardinal way got turned into what was used as kind of this like, oh, this this self-righteous cardinals that have the cardinal way. So I think they've backed off from using that as much in the last uh, handful of years simply because, well, in part, Mike Matheny used it a lot. <laughs> and oh, really? there may be a separation uh, there right. in, in how they talk about things uh, post right. Mike Matheny. But it did kind of get turned into a negative. And, and I always try to clarify with people, it doesn't mean anything other than there's a certain way, there's a certain expectation, a certain standard of how you do baseball as a professional in this organization. That's it. So it's not really this 
you know, high and mighty thing that a lot of people think it is when they hear that phrase. But that's sort of what it turned into. What what I like about it is that from what I've read about it, it's, it's presented at all levels throughout, like mm-hmm. through the minors and everything. So yep. when the kids come in and they're going to start coming up, they're going to know what to expect because exactly. they're learning things the same way that if and when they, they make it all the way up, it's the same thing. And that's that's really what I mean, George Kissel is kind of the one who started that and basically wrote the manual that was like, hey, this is what we need to make sure everyone at every level is doing and is learning and is teaching so that there's a cohesiveness throughout the organization. And I mean, that's certainly not a bad thing. (laughs) That's certainly not a a thing that I I think you would look down on as far as organizational strategy. And it's something that, you know, I've talked to minor leaguers and they talk about the cardinal way. They know what it means and they then are expected to apply it. And if if they don't apply it, if they don't kind of fall into or learn or digest what it means to play in this organization, they're going to struggle and they're going to have a hard time moving up and moving forward simply because, look, those expectations aren't there just as a kind of fun fact. It's it's what you need to do to be successful in in this world. And um, yeah, it is. It's or, it's top to bottom organizational. And, and I think that's a pretty it's a pretty smart strategy strategy. And when you look at how successful the Cardinals have been in building great teams from within their own organization, it's hard to knock it. Right. Absolutely. So it would seem that a team like that, that's that organized, should be able to deal with emergencies that come on. So we kind of have to go to the recent COVID situation with the Cardinals and how they dealt with it. And I have to admit that, you know, when the the news came out and there was this big splash that, you know, first the Marlins and then the Cardinals, right? Wasn't that the order? Um, I I followed it for the hot second of news and then it kind of went away and I went back to, to focusing on teams that I usually watch. So what's been sort of the overall fallout from this situation? You know, the fallout is frustrating to me in the sense that, the story that anyone who's sort of tangentially paying attention to baseball believes mm-hmm. is not fact. So that's been the most frustrating piece of this is that sure. initially there was – Get that out. Yeah. There was this this Twitter rumor that was run with by some national level writers and reporters that the Cardinals all went to a, a casino when, when they were in Milwaukee and that's where they got COVID. That did not happen. That is not how they contracted COVID. They know to the person where it came from. And it happened in St. Louis before they ever got on the road. They didn't go to a casino in Milwaukee. That wasn't a thing that happened. Now, there was some some photo floating around of Carlos Martinez out partying in St. Louis. It was confirmed later that it wasn't him in the picture. So this whole thing that was going on, Derek Gould from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch did a huge breakdown of here's what people are saying. Here's what everyone ran with. Here's what I can track down. They went to the casino in Milwaukee and had (laughs) them look through tape of who came in and who went out. And no Cardinals players were there. So that's not how it happened. And yet, the number of times I hear, oh, irresponsible Cardinals going out and partying, when the- it didn't happen. <laughs> but unfortunately, that was the first thing that anyone saw. That was the first thing that anyone ran with. And that's where the kind of responsibility of a national writer to confirm those things before even sharing them as rumor, just putting it out there in a larger, broader sense, is incredibly damaging to any sort of factual narrative in what happened and what didn't. So that would be the first thing. That's incredibly frustrating that we're still dealing with the fallout in that regard. But as far as baseball, 
Man, it's so it's such a weird thing to try to figure out. Look, part of the fallout is that Carlos Martinez still isn't back. Part of the fallout is that Jack Flaherty still <sighs> isn't built up to go 100 pitches in a game. And as a result, the first game he didn't have a pitch count. He was out in two and uh, two and two thirds, I believe, because he just doesn't have he was stuck in a hotel for almost two weeks trying to throw bullpens against the mattress in his hotel room. That's not normal. You can't then throw someone back into the normal sort of rhythm and routine of baseball and expect them to function properly. So it's that sort of extreme where there are players who still aren't back. There are players who then had their entire season interrupted that they're so far behind them trying to make up so many games at once that it's impossible to even look at this team on the field and I, I guess realistically analyze what's happening and what's not because it's so abnormal. Yeah. What, so what's the schedule like with all these double headers? Like, are they constantly in double headers? It's pretty insane. They played a double header on Saturday against the Cubs. That worked out well for you. It did. It did work out well for me. Uh, my Cubs fan boyfriend did not agree, but it oh, worked out great for me. <laughs> oh, that's nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, so they played a, a, a doubleheader on Saturday, and including that doubleheader, there's, what, a month of the season left or so? Um, they play seven doubleheaders, including yesterday. So six more after yesterday in the, you know, five weeks or so that are left in the season. So it, it eliminates off days. It eliminates your ability to reset. And look, that first game of that doubleheader was Jack Flaherty not going out of the third inning. So when you start off a, a doubleheader that way and they played, uh, they play again on, on Monday in Chicago to finish up that series and they go immediately into a doubleheader with the twins and then they have an off day and then they have a doubleheader, I believe with Detroit. And then they, that's their last off day. They don't have another off day through the, the remainder of the season. So wow. if you have one thing that goes wrong in one start that sets you off and you have to use three guys that you weren't expecting to use that day, it can, the, the ripple effects can last for two weeks at that point. So yep. it's, it's wild. It's just hard to even wrap my head around how you would manage in a season where there are multiple doubleheaders a week. And you think that, oh, well, you know, a seven inning game, at least that helps save your bullpen. Well, it does, unless you have a flirty situation or something. You can't count on that. Yeah. Now, now the good thing is, by some miracle, Adam Wainwright is like Cy Young Adam Wainwright again. Oh, he had to stay in. I was watching that his last game and he just they had to keep him in and he it's just amazing. had to do it. But so he he threw a, a complete game in his last start, then pitched the second game of the doubleheader yesterday. And mm-hmm. fortunately, you know, you always wonder after that complete game, right? He threw 122 pitches. You think, okay, is he gonna is he gonna have to, you know, back off a little bit? Is he gonna be a little extra tired? Adam Wainwright, <laughs> you know, I could tell in the fifth inning, uh, he was he was starting to feel it a little bit. He wasn't quite as quick to, uh, you know, the next pitch. He was struggling a little bit more to find that extra snap on the curveball. And uh, still, he he gutted it out till there was, uh, you know, one out in the in the seventh. So yeah. he was able to give them those extra innings that they kind of lost from Jack Flaherty earlier. And that's not the first time he's done that this year. He's been the saving factor of, of that rotation um, with all these double headers going on. And, and that, that complete game was his 39th birthday, yeah. right? 
Yeah, it I'm was. 39. <laughs> what a way to fucking celebrate your 39th birthday. So what I'm going to do right now, dear listeners, is I'm putting a pin in this for a moment because I can't believe that we've already got our our episode chunk in. <laughs> so I'm going to say that we are maybe a quarter of the way through the questions that we have for, for Tara. So please keep your eyes open in a couple of days when we drop this entire interview. And actually, Tara, do you want to just give your um, contact info now so that it's in the episode? Sure. Yeah. You can follow me on Twitter at Tara Wellman. And that's sort of the hub for everything else. So the Chirps podcast for Birds on the Black, the Gateway to Baseball Heaven podcast, anything else that I, I put out there content wise, that's that's where you can find it. So as somebody who, you know, is is nearby the Orioles where there was a Matt Weeders and then a national then, you know, a nationals families of Matt Weeders, are these doubleheaders going to give Weeders any time behind the plate or is Yadi not ever going to let him catch? You know, there's a bit of a controversy there, as there seems to always be with Yadier Molina. Love him, but there's always some sort of controversy there. Um, no, you look, Yadi wants to play, especially after having been out for that time when he was on the COVID IL. He wants to play. He wants to play every game. He he says he trains for every game. And look, at some point, you have to acknowledge the value that he has to the pitching staff and all of that. When he first came back, he played both games of a doubleheader instead of Andrew Kisner starting one of those games while Weeders was on the IL. Then Matt Weeders came back, Andrew Kisner was optioned, and Weeders started the second game of the doubleheader. So the Andrew Kisner fans wow. are not happy about it. But Weeders does have that that veteran experience that I think Yachty really respects and really appreciates. And look, Weeders has done a nice job as far as the pitching staff is concerned. He hasn't looked great offensively this year, which was a, a big asset of him with St. Louis last year was able to come in and, and get some even just pinch hit opportunities where he he upped the game a little bit there. So he'll play some. <laughs> he'll, he'll play some. But uh, look, the backup job to Yadier Molina is not fun for anyone. <laughs> that, and that is so Patty was mentioning that because I was about to go into Yadi. So I don't know how much you know about our baseball boyfriends. But what we do on our podcast is we each choose one guy per team that like we connect with. Like there's something about that guy that we're like, that's our dude. And it's fun to have one for every team because then we have like a vested interest in literally every team. And our first season I was totally drawn to Yadier Molina. And so he was my first Cardinals baseball boyfriend and I can't let him go. And I didn't really realize till recently though, like what a, a lightning rod he is in controversy. Mm -hmm. Like when that, when that Instagram post went out of him and people during COVID people freaked out on him. And I felt, you know, because I'm definitely team Yachty here. I felt like his explanation was fine. He's like, these are people that I'm with. It's like my bubble. These are my folks. And, and he was, I felt like he was totally respectful of, yes, we need to be careful about this. So that's me. But what, why do you think, Yad, why is, tell me, why is Yadi such a lightning rod? Well, just real quick in response to that. Yeah, that was, and you know, I, I think there are a couple people who didn't appreciate that I mentioned it on the internet at all. But look, when you're at that level, you have to know that everything you put out there is open to criticism and something as significant as that, the clarification should have been there in the first place. Yeah, and true. I love Very Yachty. True. I adore him. I hope that he never leaves St. Louis, but I think it's still fair to say from my perspective that clarification should have been there because then it would have yeah. eliminated the opportunity for anyone to think otherwise. So it's just a, a, a 
you know, lack of um, wisdom in the the judgment of that choice right there. But then he clarified, and and I agree with you. I think it was a totally fine explanation. Mm-hmm. And and there were people in St. Louis who started immediately identifying. Wait, hold on. The people in these picture are so and so, and they're already around him. So maybe we need to just calm down. <laughs> um, but look, that's kind of the Yadier Molina thing. I think part of the reason people react to his Instagram post is because he has a tendency to. <laughs> He has a tendency to use Instagram to make a point he doesn't want to say publicly, uh, oh. like in the, in the media. He uh, There were some very kind of pointed uh, prior to Mike Matheny's firing Instagram that were kind of like uh, subtweets only on Instagram. <laughs> so it's not the first time he's done something where you're like, oh, do it. <laughs> well, the whole something relationship something? there between him and Matheny is really loaded, right? Because right. he essentially took Matheny's job yeah, as yeah. catcher. And, and, and also, then, he also yeah. always spoke so highly of Mike Matheny, but I think things just got so out of control uh, as far as the dynamic in the clubhouse that even – and look, let's be honest. Uh, Mike Schilt is there, <laughs> but Yadier Molina runs that team. And I think that's <laughs> part beautiful. of why he maybe is such a lightning rod is because it's Yachty's world. Everyone else is just living in it. And <laughs> he he's fine with that. In fact, he's pretty determined to make it so. And, you know, he has kind of a bubble around him that continues to support that idea that like he gets to kind of call the shots. And um, there's a lot of conversation uh, amongst those of us in, in the Cardinals world about whether that's a good thing or not, <laughs> uh, that maybe he needs to yeah. be player Yadier Molina and not, um, you know, GM Yadier Molina. But at, at this point, maybe someday. Um, but you know, this, just... this Wayne's world image, like when you said Yadier's world, I was like, so <laughs> who would be his sidekick? Like who would be the, like somebody needs to to do that meme, Yadi's world, yeah, yeah, and have Yadier and I don't know, Wayno. It's definitely Adam Wayne, right? Uh, <laughs> that that bromance Wayne? is the most pure thing in all of baseball. Um, yeah, but so anyway, as far as the lightning rod thing, he's he's um, not afraid to speak his mind. He's not afraid to be a little rough around the edges. He's a competitor. I mean, when you there's nothing that I love more than watching Yadier Molina play in the World Baseball Classic because you see the absolute fire that he has and. We don't always see that in St. Louis. A lot of times during the postseason, you'll see it when he's really, really intense about something. Uh, But that intensity can rub some people the wrong way. And look, I think of Yachty as the guy that I love when he's on my team. But if he was on my opponent's team, I would absolutely hate him because he's (laughs) just this menace with so much competitive fire that it would be very, very uh, easy to be kind of rubbed the wrong way by him. This is why having baseball boyfriends helps because you can say, okay, so, you know, you're the other team, but you're my guy on that team. So it's okay that you do that thing. Yeah. Yeah. So so in prior years, like we pick a range of guys, like we pick, sometimes we pick new prospects, rookies, Mm -hmm. new guys. And sometimes we pick veterans for various different reasons. Like two years ago, like last year I had Paul DeYoung. And this year I've got Matt Carpenter, right? Just for like, just for a whole range of reasons. So, we want to know who you would pick as your guy on the Cardinals, whether it's like, you know, go hang out with or the guy that everyone should know about and pay attention to, whatever your definition of that is. Well, okay, so there there are two answers. First of all, Adam Wainwright's my guy. Adam Wainwright's the guy that I have more of kind of like that emotional baseball fan connection to Adam Wainwright than anyone else because the, the – t- 
the years that Adam Wainwright, when he first came in into uh, the the major leagues and you know took over the closer role and and had that whole magical run through the postseason in two thousand six, um, those are the the very formative years of my kind of like individual baseball fandom. Like I said, it's been in my family, it's in my blood, but that was when I was really kind of overwhelmingly invested in baseball. And and Adam Wainwright was my guy, and he's he's one of those rare athletes that has never let me down <laughs> in the sense that, you know, yes. you don't find out this deep, dark secret about Adam Wainwright and you're like, oh, well, you know, he's actually like as good a human <laughs> as he is a baseball player. So Adam Wainwright's always my guy. But uh, to stay on brand with anyone of my followers who will listen to this, uh, it's got to be Colton Wong. And um, I've been team Colton from day one, literally from day one. And I mentioned I work professionally in, in sports these days. I have a photo of Colton Wong surrounded by local media his very first day of pro ball. Uh, because we were covering the game that night. And I had the opportunity to to uh, write stories about him and talk to his manager about him. And I've always been on the, no, he's actually better than you think he is bandwagon. And uh, there's nothing that has given me more joy than watching him absolutely flourish post Mike Matheny, because that was a whole dynamic that just was absolutely squashing oh. everything good uh, about Colton Wong. And um, it's been a lot of fun the last couple of years watching people go, oh, Oh, he really is good. So I relish <laughs> well, in that every I'm time. I'm one of those people because I picked him this year. So I love it. I love Yay. it. Yay. That was my pick. <laughs> Who was yours this year? Do you remember, Patty? I don't even yeah, remember. Yeah, Matt Carpenter. Oh, that was this year. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. It's the salsa. Smart pick. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Yeah. That was your story. <laughs> so the, the, it's funny that you said Wayne, right? Because we have in our baseball boyfriend rules, we have so many rules. Patty's really good at it. It only apply to the two of us. Don't worry. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so what, what we do is because pitchers are such a hot mess, we pick them as a unit. So we go through every team. And then at the end, we pick our pitching squad. So we pick okay. one team's pitchers. So last year was the first year that was our third year of the podcast that I attempted to do a little bit of research. And I looked into it and St. Louis pitching was highly recommended. It was like the it was the highest highest ranked team that I could pitch, which means uh, that I could pick, which means not one that I had picked in a previous year and not one that Patty had picked in a previous year. And then they didn't do so well last year. So I was wondering if you could help me see like where did I go wrong? Well, they did make the playoffs, you know. I remember. <laughs> yeah, that's true. They did. Yeah, uh, you know, last year was interesting because um, Miles Michaelis kind of took a step back from his first year, which was uh, mm -hmm. not uh, not a surprise. Um, you know, he he was great the the first year in St. Louis, and it took a little bit of a step back. He was kind of a roller coaster at times. Um, they had some some issues with injuries. Uh, Dakota Hudson, <sighs> Dakota Hudson <laughs> is <laughs> great when he's great. Um, he's one of. Uh, I have a hard time watching him pitch when he's struggling, mostly because he'll take like 12 seconds between pitches. <laughs> I can't. Oh, wow. I just can't. Um, and you can tell from the first inning if it's going to be a good Dakota Hudson game or if it's going to be a bad Dakota Hudson game. And if it's a bad game, he's going to walk through guys in the first inning, probably give up two runs, pull it together in the second and third, and then throw like 45 pitches to try to get out of the fourth. It's just every time. Um, so he was kind of a, a roller coaster last year. And he's one of those guys that, you know, if you look at his stats, um, his performance uh, outshines the the sort of underlying metrics, and you're always kind of waiting huh. for it to fall apart completely. He's a ground ball guy, and a lot of times that's sort of how it goes because a ball in play, <laughs> you know, you never know, right? Um, mm -hmm. But he had phenomenal defense behind him up the middle last year, so that helped him out. 
significantly, but he was a little bit off. Adam Wainwright um, pitched a lot more like Adam Wainwright that we expected, but he kind of pitched like the aging, he's a great fifth starter, but not your ace, Adam Wainwright, which was fine for the role they asked him to play last year. Mm-hmm. Um, th- there was kind of the whole debacle about where Carlos Martinez was going to come back and whether he was going to be in the what I was or not. And um, then there was, you know, Alex Reyes, who for mm-hmm. a long time should have been in the rotation and wasn't. So there's been all these sort of anomalies with that, um, you know, even going back to previously, Luke Weaver, who was in the Paul Goldschmidt trade, was good, maybe not ace caliber good, but that's kind of what the Cardinals have done is bring up uh, and develop a lot of arms that are capable major league uh starters, but none of them have really turned into the kind of Jack Flaherty of that team. So there were just a lot of weird outings where guys didn't go super deep into games last year. And that kind of uh, set the bullpen in motion more, more regularly than they would have liked. Well, and I think the problem is, so what we do with our baseball boyfriends at the end of the pick is we draft a, we do a fantasy team. And so I had them as pitchers, but I was confused at who to put in for starters because because of the whole Reyes Martinez thing. And so yeah. I kept like and trying Austin to look Gomber it up and figure and out what to do. And, yeah, there are so, so many guys it, that are kind of. It's probable that, that my my fantasy team did worse than the Cardinals actually did because <laughs> I, I be. put them in the wrong <laughs> slots. Well, I don't know if it was all that or it was some of the ways you pick your boyfriends, which not necessarily is about how good they yeah. are baseball. That's okay though. <laughs> That's that. okay. I picked the most interesting pitchers. So like sure. we, you know, there's yeah. a certain number of pitchers you can pick. So yeah. I didn't get all the relievers, but I got the ones that I picked. So yeah. And actually well, you have Andrew, Andrew Miller's there now, right? Andrew Miller is there and he's not pitching this year because he had Tommy John. But if oh. you, uh, if you don't know about uh, Andrew Miller is, but John Brebbia is who I was going to mention. If you don't oh. know about John Brebbia, facial hair, facial hair. We had him on a facial the, hair segment. <laughs> the weirdest dude I have ever seen. I like bullpen guys are weird. <laughs> he's a weird dude, but it's hilarious. He's like a sipping tea and reading poetry before a game kind of guy. And it's hysterical. He's so funny. That's people should, it. more people should know about John Brebbia. <laughs> we'll do our best. <laughs> <laughs> so Tara, we know we spent a lot of time um, thinking about and working on minor league ball and focusing on the minor leagues. And there's been like since last October, all of these rumors about the gutting of the minor leagues as well. The major leagues actually submitted a plan a week ago that really kind of end minor leagues as we know it. It eliminates rookie and short season teams. It limits major league teams to only four affiliated clubs. It takes a lot of the um, the control in-house at the major league level. It's just, it's just astounding how much control would be shifting in this. Can you talk a little bit about how that, well, you know, big picture for sure, but also how that affects the Cardinals? Yeah, you know, this is such a soapbox for me. Like I said, I've, I've worked in minor league baseball for the better part of the last decade in some form. And it's something that's very near and dear to me because I think it's such a foundational uh, sort of access point for fans becoming interested in the game. I think minor league baseball is such an incredible sort of entity all to itself. And the the exposure to the game, the exposure to players, the access to, you know, an entire family spending time at a game as opposed to, you know, you can't afford to take a family of five to a, a major league baseball game. Plus, living in Iowa now, living in Utah growing up, we didn't have a major league team. So those minor league teams are the only way that a lot of people get to experience live baseball. So from the inside of of working with those teams and watching those guys, man, there's something really special about watching a kid come in and figure it out or struggle and see what that life is really like for them. And 
look, there's been a lot of talk. There's been a lot of push to make sure those guys are taken care of better than they are, that they can afford to play baseball for a living. And that's a that's a whole other conversation that I could go off on a, a major tangent there. But as far as the restructuring of minor league baseball, it's unfortunate. And, you know, I, I had an opportunity not too long ago in a, a Q&A session with John Mosellac from the Cardinals to ask him specifically because he's been very kind of pro uh, elimination of teams. And I had the opportunity to ask him pretty point blank, what is it that you see as a positive of that? And I wasn't entirely surprised by his answer. It's kind of the idea of uh, quality over quantity and the idea that if they can focus their resources more in a couple of directions, that they'll be able to create a better product at the end. I don't know that I agree with that. I think that baseball is baseball is different than uh, football or basketball. I think the NHL is probably the closest to kind of that learning curve. But even then, I've talked to so many minor league players who come in and say, look, it's not that I can't do what a major leaguer can. It's that I can't do it consistently. So Mm -hmm. that learning curve of getting from the beginning to that end goal is so much sharper than in any other sport. And you just need the reps. You just need the opportunities. So the... (laughs) The idea that consolidating and and only focusing on four teams is going to make a better product at the end really undervalues, I think, the competition in those lower levels and the instruction and the development there. Plus, Albert Pools was a 13th round draft pick. So if you start eliminating rounds of the draft, you're going to – another minor leaguer told me, and I thought he said it brilliantly. He said, if you eliminate teams – if you eliminate rounds of the draft, you're eliminating major league players. And there's no way around that. So I, I guess the idea that you can direct your resources more heavily is fine and it's fair because, you know, if you're only having to fund four teams as opposed to six teams, yes, technically that's accurate. <laughs> but I think the problem is that. Uh, and the problem in my in my perspective from kind of the minor league uh, side of things is that you're losing a lot of the development. You're losing a lot of, just as far as the baseball goes, that understanding the cardinal way that we talked about earlier and kind of teaching guys how to be professionals. And I, I've, I've said all along, I've said this on podcasts, people can go back and listen to it and, and I'm not making this up. Um, I've said all along that this is a power play. It's been a power play from day one, and it's about wanting to take a step back in the sense of not having to develop as many players because you can, at this point, kind of depend on college programs to do that and let them do the heavy lifting, and then you go in and take the polished players ready to go, and you don't have to do as much work in the development process, and it saves you money along the way. Now, we can argue about how much money it's really saving them, and it's not much. (laughs) It's not enough to be this big of a deal considering how much money they have at play. Um, But it it gives Major League Baseball control. I was not at all surprised to find out that that Major League Baseball was going to take control of the minor leagues more or less. Because, uh, like I said, all along, I've, I've said this is a power play. It's a way to mm-hmm. not be responsible for so many people in the process. And it's a way to make sure that they don't have to concede 
um, you know, any part of that process to someone else. They're not responsible to anyone at that point. And that to me is terrifying because Major League Baseball has done a very poor job of being responsible for the players that they currently have, much less the the future of minor league baseball and, and those who will become major leaguers after that. One of the things that this plan said was, you know, we get rid of the rookie leagues, we get rid of the short season teams, but those guys that would have been assigned there, should they be drafted, you know, to that level, would just go to the spring training facilities. So they'd be doing kind of like what's happening now with the alternate training sites. My whole thing was this whole COVID season is like a test run for, you know, for for doing that in the future without having, you know, leagues, but having this there. And if those guys are training at the facility, they are not working as players. So they're not getting paid. So sure, it's concentrating resources because you're just not paying those guys. Yeah. And those are the guys most at risk. Generally, those lower yep. round picks who don't sign for high uh, signing bonuses, who maybe don't have the resources at home to depend on. Yeah. So those are the guys that are in the toughest spot. And I think they're going to if they do that, they're going to have to come up with some sort of compensation, even if it's just like room and board, more or less, for those guys to stay there so that they're not floundering on their own. But, you know, even those guys at those low levels, some of them have families and they're not really in a position. The number of guys who are going to walk away from the sport because of this change is going to be outrageous. It's heartbreaking. It's just heartbreaking. And on the community side of that, like you were talking about Iowa and Utah, the major league plan says, okay, those teams that, that, you know, get, get cut or don't get selected, they have other choices. They could join those like collegiate wooden bat leagues. They could have like an independent league. It's the same thing. They said it's the same thing. And it's not, I mean, we've got a wooden bat league and my kid works at that when they have baseball in non COVID summers. And it's, big fun. We love going there, but it isn't the same as going to a Bay Sox game or an Ironbirds oh game that because like you one of those guys might make it, but the other games like these are guys you're going to follow and you're going to be able to say I knew them when. And there is a connection, enough of a connection, but it's still your town's team. And that's going right, to get lost. Yeah. And and the other thing that's going to get lost is diversity. What little diversity we have because what's going to happen to the foreign players? So if you're if you're leaning on colleges, what about the foreign players? What about these guys that's part of the manipulation in the the conversation about this whole minor league thing because I don't I don't remember the numbers exactly but I know that you know while the Cardinals are talking about cutting minor league teams they've also started like three new Dominican league teams so they're utilizing huh. development in places like the Dominican instead of in the states because mm. they don't have to play by the same rules. <laughs> Right. Yeah, and they probably pay them so much less there. I mean, so much less. That is just incomparable. Yeah. You know, and, and, and mentioned like labor laws and whatnot. Right, right. <laughs> right. But and and then just you know, sort of economic diversity in this country too, because there's already you know everything's so slanted toward the people who do the travel ball, and they have the parents with the minivan who can drive them all over the place, and they start getting scouted, you know, super young. And what about? expanding the game? What about growing the game to people who don't have the resources to do that and are going to need some training? And and the other thing I was thinking of as a teacher is it's sort of like a, a learning style thing. You're, you're, you're funneling it down to the, the ones who get hot fast and they get in. If you're not going to be patiently building those slow learners, like you said, with Albert Pujols, eventually might be way better and last longer than your hot new stars who are young. Yeah. And and how many times do we hear about an undrafted 
player who ends up, whether it's playing indie ball or something else, it, it finally ends up getting a look. Or that guy in the 39th round who ends up being a staple in your major league lineup. Look, it's not every one of those players. And there's an argument to be made for shortening the draft to some extent because you kind of just string some people along at that point if they're they're not really in a position to be part of your plans moving forward. But to cut it down as drastically as it will be cut down in order to only fill out four teams per organization, you're leaving a lot of guys behind who maybe are the exact kind of player you're going to need five years from now. They just need the time to develop. They just need the time to, to turn into something. And, you know, the Cardinals are kind of that perfect example of not drafting super high and still being able to develop major league talent and to then kind of turn around and say, yeah, but actually we don't need all of that. It just sort of, sort of seems to fly in the face of the entire organizational philosophy for the Cardinals. Yeah, there are some teams apparently who don't like this. What do you mean you're going to limit us to four teams? Because the ones who can afford to have more teams (laughs) would like to have more teams. But Mm yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And the other thing is just the the one other note. um, I I will never forget a a GM that I talked to uh, over the winter when all of this was kind of blowing up for the first time. He was talking specifically about minor league baseball and said it's not just player development, it's fan development. And I think for baseball – to be in a position where they're constantly worried about the attraction to the game and getting young people involved, it just, it, it's kind of a slap in the face to those fans and to those communities who put so much into drawing people in so that they get to see baseball up close. And like I said, in so many communities, Iowa being a state where at least three teams are on the chopping block to to be eliminated, you know, you're not just losing the development of those players who might become something, you're losing the development of those fans that then don't have access. And you're right, look, wooden bat leagues, college leagues, whatever, that's fine. But the the weird thing that I don't understand how Major League Baseball doesn't understand from a marketing perspective is if your logo is plastered on everything that that team has to offer, that the the fans' loyalty is going to follow that more often than not. And so if it's just some arbitrary team that maybe plays in a, a local league or, or something like that where there's no progression from there, you're kind of limiting your reach to that audience and mm-hmm. doing it in a very dramatic and... Uh, harmful way because you're going to cut off some of those fans who have been there for you and have been loyal to you. And you're going to lose some of those people just by leaving. And then you're going to lose the the people who would come after them that now don't have that connection from that team to your organization. And that ends up being future players because you're talking about little kids, right? Where are you going to bring the little kids? It's so much easier, like you guys were saying before, cost-wise, to bring them to a minor minor league park. And then they fall in love with baseball and want to be a baseball player when they grow up. Yep. You know, and hopefully all sorts of little kids. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, It's just a mess. And it's it's so frustrating to to see them kind of just plow ahead with it. And plowing the art. Tara, if I ever need a spokesperson to represent me in any way, would you be available? Because the way you make your arguments is so clear and so passionate and so spot on. I would like to hire you for all of my spokesperson needs. Absolutely. I'm, I'm in. <laughs> Are there any questions that we didn't ask you that you wish we had asked you? Hmm. You know, I think we covered uh, most. I mean, we hit minor league baseball. We hit Colton Wong. Though We hit Adam Wainwright. We're very on brand for me. Things are good. <laughs> highlights for me. Well, thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun, Tara. We've really enjoyed this and you've really, you've taught us a lot and we've really had a good time talking with you. As have I. Thank you so much. This was great. Thanks. Thanks. 